Today, we invite back to the show a former Amazonian who's one of the foremost experts in the world on Amazon compliance and suspensions, and he's going to let you guys know lots of things you need to be on guard about to help protect your Amazon accounts. How cool is that? Pretty cool, I think. What was your gross sales yesterday, last week, last year? More importantly, what are your profits after all your cost of selling on Amazon? Did you pay any storage charges to Amazon? How much did you spend on PPC? Find out these key metrics and more by using the Helium 10 tool, Profits. For more information, go to h10.me forward slash profits. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Serious Sellers Podcast by Helium 10. I am your host, Bradley Sutton, and this is the show that's a completely BS-free, unscripted, and unrehearsed organic conversation about serious strategies for serious sellers of any level in the Amazon or Walmart world. And and actually, you know, that's kind of a, a somewhat of a little new intro I do. I, I've been saying that for the last couple of weeks, you know, because we we're trying to cater a little bit more also to uh, Walmart sellers. So actually, Chris, I'm going to lead off right with that. You know, I know your your expertise is on Amazon. You know, you used to work for Amazon and everything and, and about the you know legal issues that some people might come up uh, with. But right. I'm just curious and I've never asked you this before, but in the last year and a half, in my experience, you know, exponentially more uh, amount of of sellers are are interested in selling in Walmart and I'm just curious like have you seen anything on your side where all of a sudden now you're getting uh you know requests about hey uh, you know um this happened to me on a Walmart do you help with Walmart or you haven't seen that I mean I don't help people with Walmart accounts um mm-hmm. but I have had a couple of requests for you know we're suspended or we have a problem with a listing um more often than not, people just ask me, um, you know, if they should start selling more on Walmart. And they tell me that in the past they tried it, but they had trouble with like the platform or the functionality, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. technical issues or listing problems, things like that. Yep. Um, well, I- I'm just going to tell you right now, like I, my prediction, you know, I usually I, I don't like doing those shows where like, hey, here's my predictions for 2023 or it's like, you know, <laughs> well, well, it's complete shots in the dark. Right. But. Right. I'll tell you right now, like I, I'm very comfortable to predict that that within a year you're going to start getting a lot of requests for for issues. Like I don't think Walmart suspends anybody for anything, almost it seems. But I bet you they're going to change their policies and get more align with Amazon. So you you might want to get uh, some ex. Well, we, we call them ex Amazonians. What do you call an ex Walmart? <laughs> Well, I don't even know if there's a word. Walmartians. Walmartian. Yeah, you might need to go recruit for your your, your team in ex Walmartian. And by the way, guys, if you ever hear that phrase in the future, you just heard it first here, created by Chris. That's an my ex Walmartian. You got to footnote me when you use that phrase. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, let's go back to your bread and butter, and yeah. we always talk about this. Is like the second or third time you've been on the podcast, and this is always a, a popular episode because. Every year, there's something else uh, in the Amazon world that, that people are either getting in trouble about or or they're having to deal with and they don't know how to deal with it. So right off the bat, I think the last time you were on the show might have been um, you know, around June, July of 2020. Let, let's just bullet point some of the main new-ish things or just you know maybe it's an old thing that still is very common. Let's talk about the things that um, are affecting sellers the most you know, in your world. We've seen since... Last summer, I would say a huge increase in uh, listing takedowns, listing suspensions for more 
more reasons. Listing compliance issues are being enforced more across the board. Um, for the item- HTML thing, I think I've seen, you know, like yeah. the Amazon always says something, but then they never actually do anything about like, oh yeah, you know, all caps in your bullets are bad. And like, literally I've never seen, I mean, personally, I've never seen anybody before, but then I saw some people just a few days ago, like they got their listing suppressed because they didn't take out their HTML, right? From the description. Exact. Well, style guide. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, people putting all caps or, um, I mean, there's a variety of style guide violations that they would sort of let go in the past, but they don't let it go as much anymore. Enforcement's always going to be inconsistent. So I think the worst thing sellers can do is copy what their neighbor's doing, assuming that because it's live on the site, it's okay. And it's mm-hmm. policy compliant. Um, we've been shouting that for the, from the rooftops for years. And I think now finally it's resonating because people are losing their listings at least until they make those changes, but they could be losing thousands of dollars in revenue for no reason. I mean, they could have just fixed the listing now and avoided that whole headache. But, um, then of course, if you're doing like supplements, you're making unsubstantiated health claims, right? Um, listings are being flagged for all kinds of reasons. So we just, we work on way more ASIN level appeals now than we did, I would say 12 months ago. That's one big change. Okay. Um, okay. Can we talk a little bit about some of those? Like I've never, you know, knock on wood, I have not been ASIN level suspended for anything. So what, what are the, I don't know, three most common ASIN level things that people are getting suspended for? So, I mean, it could be listing compliance. We'll start with that one. Violations of the style guide. Um, Sometimes people are, are not putting compatible with in their, in their title. They're using other terms. Um, so non-compliant language in titles and in detail page bullets. Uh, sometimes it's image violations, but it's just generally people not understanding what goes on a detail page and what doesn't, which if you're an established brand or if you're looking to be an established brand on Amazon, you have to kind of study those listing rules backwards and forwards, I would say, before you even get started. Um, mm-hmm. otherwise what happens nowadays is you get warnings, right? Even if your listing doesn't come down, you get a warning. They say you still have to appeal it even if it's not suspended, but they want you to appeal and your account health takes a hit, right? People are much more conscious now with the visual display of their account being at risk. If it's in that yellow zone, um, even if it's still green, I think people are taking it seriously and worried that they're going to suddenly be at risk if they get one more warning or one more performance notification that says, hey, you haven't listed, you haven't listed these right. Um, there's product detail page abuse present here. You're putting content in the wrong place. Um, if you're hiring out a company to do this for you, I mean, keep a close eye on, on what they're doing and make sure they know what they're doing, right? Maybe test them first um, or have them explain back to you what's compliant and what isn't when it comes to listing product on Amazon, because that's kind of a silly reason to get flagged, I think. Uh, If it happens often enough, if it's chronic enough, people just get suspended, their whole account gets suspended. And that's like a really kind of crazy reason to get suspended, because it's not as bad really as having buyers complain about item condition or item quality. It's not as bad as a brand saying you stole their design and hitting you with an IP complaint. It's not as bad as having late shipment metrics that are out of range or, you know, um, any kind of performance problem that leads to an account health call where they say, you know, I mean, these are preventable. So I, sometimes I'm surprised I get emails from people saying we got flagged for this. And then I'll say, well, you know, what is your listing compliance process? And they just say, well, we don't really have one. We just kind of look at what other sellers do and we copy it. Interesting. Okay. Now 
you know, I, I, let's get back to some of the common things that people are getting suspended for. But one thing mm-hmm. I definitely wanted to talk about, which we haven't talked at all on the show about, um, you know, it's been happening for about three months now, but a lot of people are celebrating the streets as mm-hmm. they see Amazon finally cracking down on some of these huge sellers out there who have just been blatant. Uh, I guess, you know, people say they're, they've been blatant uh, violators of Amazon terms of service right. and they are no longer it seems above the law. Like, I don't know how much, uh, you know, something like almost a billion dollars worth of annual sales uh, of sellers were, were removed. But, but, uh, since we've never talked about that on the show, can you just give people a, a, a summary of, of what's happened over the last three, four months? And, and just maybe, I don't know if you have any unique insights into it. Yeah. I mean, I would say for three, four years, we've been fighting that war reporting abuse to Amazon in the last three or four months, they've shown a lot more interest in actually doing something about it. Um, brand abuse, having your page taken down, that's totally different from reviews abuse, not totally different, but it's different from reviews abuse, which is what got those mm-hmm. large Chinese accounts, uh, suspended. Um, what kind of things were they, were they doing with the reviews that, and actually that- it was the data, it was the data breach of the hack is the only reason that mm-hmm. a lot of their messaging directly through black hat services or directly with buyers that they paid off to leave five-star reviews. That's the only reason those accounts came to light and it kind of forced Amazon's hand because that was a public data breach, right? I mean, yeah, was, yeah. Was, I read the safety detectives article first and then a day or two later, it was everywhere. Amazon had absolutely no choice. Correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, one of the things that you know they were doing, some of those sellers were, were sending out like uh, insert cards that yeah. says, hey, we'll give you a $30 gift certificate if, if you prove to us that you leave us a positive review or, mm-hmm. or things like that, right? Yeah. I mean, the, you know, the review manipulation product review abuse universe has become one story, which is Amazon has their feet in the fire. The media is all over them. The, at least in the U S the government's all over them a little bit in Europe too, for trying to police reviews, making them accurate on the site, making sure that you don't have 50% or more fake reviews because that affects consumers. Amazon's supposed to be all about the best buyer experience, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you can't have the best buyer experience if 40, 50, 60% of the reviews that buyers are looking at aren't legitimate. And it exposed this, this side practice by black hat services and by companies paying them, um, boosting their reviews artificially companies that haven't even been around that long, getting 20, 30, 40,000 five-star reviews. I mean, it was, it was out of control for the last few years and it was absurd, artificially boosting their positive reviews by incentivizing with gift cards, giveaways, um, rebates, 100%. Well, that's a giveaway, I guess, 100%. But uh, just incentivizing reviews that were positive and, of course, discouraging any negatives. So, Okay. All right. Uh, Let's go back to the just the average Joe, you know, seller and the kind of things that uh, they need to be uh, aware of because people are getting slapped on the wrist or even worse. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we talked about, uh, ASIN level suspensions. What else are you seeing? Well, and it's maybe worth talking about competitor abuse for another moment because people are getting attacked by competitors who believe they're going to, you know, continue to game the system and that Amazon isn't going to protect the person that they're targeting. Uh, we've gotten a lot better, uh, e-commerce, Chris, my company in terms of reporting abuse the right ways to the right places and making sure that Amazon follows through with action. They don't always do it right away. But if you start seeing funky stuff on your listings, um, back-end keyword abuse is very popular and kind of a famous way that people get attacked. 
they don't realize that somebody overwrites their async contributions and puts in illicit keywords that, of course, get the bots to flag that listing right away and take it down. Um, get a category listing report. Take a look at that. Look at your flat files. See what people have put in there. Because if they put words, you know, like coronavirus or illegal drug terms or pesticide, sometimes they just put the word pesticide so that they can get the pesticide bots to take your listing down before you even have a chance to figure out what's going on. So for the regular, everyday, average Joe seller, um, there might be abuses that are extremely common in the black hat world and in the competitor attack world that you're not familiar with yet because you haven't sold enough units of that ASIN to attract competitors who are yeah. adept at those types of attacks yet. But be ready. Are, are those like people with vendor central accounts? How are they even like getting into other people's backends and, and stuff? Overwriting their flat files. There are loopholes. I mean, it happens with A-plus content as well. The vendor, the vendor side was a loophole that was more common last year and the year before. If you're in brand registry, shouldn't that mean you have the highest level of control over racing contributions? Why in God's name is somebody who's not your brand, who's probably, you know, a, a competitor who found a way to attack you? Why are they able to overwrite your racing contributions and get your listing suspended? I mean, I would say we've done maybe 750 cases like that now in the last year. Um, why is it even possible? Why can't you just be the exclusive highest async co contributor and no one else, as long as you're in brand registry, let's say, why, why isn't that enough to protect you from having somebody overwrite your, your backend keywords? Yeah. Um, somebody must have leaked to black hats that that was possible. It's not the type of loophole that I think people would have just tried everything, you know, experimenting and just stumbled upon it. I think, I think it came from somebody that knew it was a gap in Amazon's tools or systems. Um, okay. Unfortunately, it's still being exploited. So, if anything, so, so, so let's say that that happens. I mean, like, like, let's say, uh, you know, me, Project X, uh, yeah. our account, somebody goes in and and, and puts formaldehyde pesticide right. lover in, in my back end search terms. And obviously I get suspended. Like what what's the process I can take? I, I know eventually, like, you know, it might get to the point where I might need to hire somebody like you. But I know right. I, I think some of these things you can actually work out with Seller Central before it gets to that. Some you know, people have, I mean, most people try and they can't get it done because the changes don't take, or as soon as they fix it, they still don't get the ASIN reinstated. Like they don't understand it's a, it's a multi-part process where they have to work with catalog to get those keywords removed. Um, they don't always know that they need to get a catalog um, list, listing report to see what the keywords are so that they can name them and help catalog find them and delete them. Uh, we started doing hybrid cases where we would report abuse to the abuse prevention teams who wouldn't necessarily be the ones to reinstate the listing. So we'd still do ASIN level appeals, but at the same time, we'd go to abuse teams and say, by the way, we appealed for reinstatement, but we were obviously under attack. Uh, there's a competitor who's trying to exploit some ASIN contribution loopholes, and we need you to find out you know, who attacked us and take action on them. I recommend that people do both. You do kind of a hybrid approach of keep reporting the abuse because in, in case they do take action against your attacker, maybe that dissuades them or discourages them from attacking you a second time. Otherwise, they keep coming back, right? They yeah. see that you get it fixed. They see the ASINs back up. What do they do? They hit you with a fake copyright complaint. You come back with a DMCA counter notice. You fix that. Maybe not right away, but you eventually do. They come back with something else. 
um, you have to push your attackers back because a lot of savvy abuse, <laughs> abuse, uh, educated, um, brands or attackers understand how to hit you about seven or eight different ways. The good, that's the bad news. The good news is Amazon is 10 times more intelligent now about understanding what's happening to you. Nowadays, they know what's happening. They know that your competitor is attacking you. They messed with your async contributions and they understand better how to help you, you know, fix it quicker. So, okay. Is there any other proactive things, you know, like what's a checklist of, of stuff that, you know, even if you, if, even if you don't think guys that you're in a super competitive niche. And by the way, that that's a strategy in itself, you know, like Kevin King's talked about for a long time. And I have that, right. you know, we really haven't had, you know, in, in our Amazon businesses have never had to deal with this kind of thing because we kind of like, like to fly under the radar. You know, we don't go for these niches where, you know, all the top players, uh, you know, are like 500 units a day selling or a thousand right. units a day. I'd, I, instead of 500 units a day out of one nation, I'm going to do, um, you know, uh, 50 units a day or something uh, right. out of, uh, out of 10. Uh, and then, Usually these black hat sellers are not paying attention to, to the lower volume, but let's just say, I, you know, regardless of the situation, like what are the steps I can do? I have a suggestion. I think any brand out there now should be asking whoever, you know, at Amazon, you should be talking to your account manager. If you have one, you should be talking to the category manager. If you're a big player in that category and you've got a relationship with the category managers or really others as well. I mean, maybe you're connected with, managers or VPs on my former teams in the seller performance, you know, the, the marketplace enforcement world, whoever you've met, ask them about brand exclusivity. And there's different terms for it. Some people call it brand priority. Um, I've heard it's a tool or a program, something you can't necessarily apply for, but it's a way of protecting you so that you don't have to worry about uh, loading, syncing up to Amazon's API and loading your flat files every few hours or every, every, you know, Mm -hmm. 20 minutes. That's what people are doing right now. As ridiculous as it sounds, they're overwriting their own stuff to make sure that no one's jumping in and messing with their, with their flat files or their, um, interesting. Yeah. That's the only suggestion I have right now is the constant maintenance approach, but brand exclusivity. That's the term that I heard from an Amazonian, um, of course, nobody tells you how you can get it, but that's what you need because brand registry isn't enough. Brand registry is a nice start <laughs> and you can't really exist as a brand in any functional way on Amazon without brand registry because then you just get hijacked all day and people yeah. people control your images and your detail page bullets and so forth. So, But brand registry is like very, very low level. I mean, Amazon has to get people into a program where essentially – it's like listing gating, right? <laughs> Maybe they don't mm-hmm. get the listing from other sellers, but they certainly gate the listing from anybody else changing images, keywords, bullets. You know, people are hiring us who say all of our images were changed, all of our bullets were changed, or the or the page is just gone, right? Some people just say my ASIM was manually yanked. I have no idea why. They said there were too many changes to our page. And they didn't make the changes. Somebody else did, right? Hmm. It's like Amazon struggling to control their own catalog. I know that sounds alarming and it kind of is, but you can kind of keep pressuring them to fix things when they break. And if you keep coming back with not, not only did I need this ASIN reinstated, I'm under attack. What are your teams doing to protect me from attacks from other brands? Or maybe it's a service or another party out there has a bullseye on my back simply because I'm successfully selling this product. 
Um, like you said, you're not in necessarily categories that are the hot ones, right? Where people are trying yeah. to sell thousands of units a day. Um, that's one approach, but some people are already, you know, in a category up to their eyeballs and they can't change gears so quickly. So they just have to get ready to scratch and claw and fight a little bit, not just clawing back their competitors who are messing with them, but push Amazon to do a little bit more for you. Sometimes Amazon won't, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. They won't listen to you unless you make a little noise, right? Um, In a sense, when people hire us to do escalations for them, this is part of what they need us for. How do I make noise the right way versus the wrong way? Writing endless emails to Jeff at Amazon or, you know, whatever kind of random stuff is on Facebook groups and on the forums. Yeah, of course, that's the wrong kind of noise. Of course, you're wasting your time. Um, There's a smart, effective way, which is presenting factual information giving them bulleted lists of how many times you were attacked. Try to give the date and time that you were attacked. If you can narrow it down to the time, that's even better. So, all right, ASIN level, you know, suspensions. We've got uh, suspensions that come up from people hijacking the back ends of your listing and putting in some crazy keywords. What else are you seeing out there? I mean, of course, the account level stuff in terms of reviews of you, suspensions. Um, when people tell me they're still using packaging inserts, I just say, look, take a screenshot and show it to me and I'll tell you quickly if it's good or bad or what. All it takes is a competitor to buy from you and report you for an insert that breaks the rules or a many chat sequence that breaks the rules or any kind of sales funnel really that makes it look. Well, I mean, not all inserts, you know, are are bad. Obviously for me personally, what I tell people who like say, I'm like, Hey, no, there's nothing wrong necessarily with, 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 with insert cards, but it's just that the majority of people are using it. To, to incentivize reviews that right. Amazon absolutely hates or right. or trying to promote something else that Amazon doesn't want you to do. And yeah, you're you're right. You know, Amazon uh, has been known to just go in and, you know, after reports, they'll go in and I mean they've got all your inventory there at FBA that just I mean, takes them to right. open up your box and and see that you're you're offering something for a review. But you know, what is the the things that people are getting in trouble for when they leverage ManyChat? You know, really it's techniques that are a couple of years old and they just they're they're listening to people that haven't adapted, haven't caught up with the times. You're, you're not supposed to say, if you love the product, leave me a review. If you have a problem with the product, here's our customer service channel. You can't do that. That's the messaging yeah. that gets yep. people in yep. trouble. And a lot of us know this, I realize, but I still hear from people. I'm still shocked kind of every week where I look at the inserts that I'm like, this is crazy. Of course you got caught or yeah. the many chat sequence. Um, nowadays, they're looking at any sort of artificial boost of traffic or sales rank manipulation because you've got friendly buyer accounts buying from you or you've got some sort of discount deal or giveaway deal. And even if you're not asking for reviews, you're still getting a bunch of positive reviews because you've given the product away. A lot of people think they're okay and they're safe if they just don't ask for a review. It actually doesn't matter anymore from Amazon's perspective. If you're netting hundreds or thousands of five-star reviews, even though you don't ask for one, but you're giving product away, that breaks the rule. That gets you suspended. Hmm. Um, and then there's also still people trickling in. I mean, not so many anymore, but, well, I only asked for an honest review or I only asked for an unbiased review. I mean, these are 2018, 2019 concepts that yeah. have no place in the 2021 world. So Yeah, absolutely. I think they're just watching um, old marketing videos. I'm not sure what they're doing, but. You know. <laughs> old YouTube videos. Old YouTube right. videos, you know. Yep. All right, so. Speak along those lines, you know, I think that th- there's just stuff that's absolutely blatant, you know, mm-hmm. like, yeah, duh, like I, I'm, you can't offer a gift card for a review or 
or, you know, there's just stuff that I think anybody understands that, that these are against the rules. But for me, one of the hardest ones sometimes to predict are in just the, uh, like people who still use, uh, you know, uh, automated emails, which, which I personally do, you know, obviously Helium 10 has that. And, and I haven't run into uh, issues because I'm, I, I'm very, very careful with what I say, but it's funny. Like sometimes people are like, Hey, I, I got the 30 day ban, you know, from, from sending message, proactive messages or whatever it's called. And then I look at their, they're like, I, there's hundred percent. I didn't say anything wrong. And I look and it's like something as subtle as, uh, the opening of their email says, Hey, we hope you had a, a great experience, you know, and then they go on, we're dedicated to customer service or whatever. And at the right. end, it's like, uh, please leave an honest review. But what's happening, in my opinion, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but they look at that opening sentence of, we hope you had a great experience. And then they're asking for the review. It's yeah. kind of like, it's kind of like on Amazon's eyes. It's like, you're telling them to leave a review, but only if they have, even though you're not really blatantly saying that, like something that small, Amazon is choosing to ban you. So a lot of sellers are just like, you know what? I'm just going to use the Amazon request review button and, right. and not send, you know, customers. Well, I agree with you. And, and I guess some sellers don't understand that they're interpreting the policy in, in a favorable way for the, what their own strategy is. They don't understand all the heat that Amazon is under on this topic. They would much rather suspend thousands of accounts and show the world, look, we take this seriously. We just suspended 7,500 sellers. They'd much rather do that then let it slide and have tons of public criticism. And the other thing is a lot of sellers who are considered re-offenders are having a terrible time appealing for reinstatement um, because Amazon says, we didn't believe that you implemented your first plan of action. We gave you a second chance. You were on your second chance. You're asking for a third chance for the same offense. Yeah. And I'm hearing from people who are not getting back up. So mm, that's yeah. something to consider. Like if you're already on your second chance, you got to fly right and keep it clean. There's been some things I don't know too much about, but I've just seen in social media, like people saying, you know, they're getting a lot more messaging about um, like upcoming compliance changes, like especially in the health and household. Like if yeah. people are doing supplements, you know, like they'll get these emails and like, hey, you know, as of this date, you're going to need to do this or this might happen. Mm -hmm. um, what what can you can you educate us a little bit about what you see going on uh, as far as that goes? Yeah, I mean, for uh, September 1, the uh, product uh, liability insurance deadline. So a lot of people are grappling with that right now because a lot of sellers don't have pro product liability insurance. They're going to need it very quickly. Um, and product compliance documentation in terms of testing um, certified by, by lab um, testing done by labs that are certified, ISO certified. A lot of sellers in earlier 2021 and 2020 didn't have that, and Amazon started pressing them for that. Um, so some people had to scramble. I mean, I would just make sure you've got your documentation together, no matter what it is. Even if you've got a private label brand and you're being accused of fake or counterfeit product, make sure your invoices are legible and complete and together you know, ready to go at a moment's notice, even if you think you won't need things like that, or you think you won't need to provide um, a link to your manufacturer's website or your supplier's website. You always need those things now. If you've got one thing that's not there, your your appeal could be brilliantly written and perfect. If they don't like your supply chain documentation, you could easily get declined on appeal. Um, okay. And that's one of the scary things kind of heading into Q4 is we see so many denials of appeals. Okay. Uh, what's your predictions as far as, you know, this, like, you know, uh, now it's, um, you know, after September 1st, like, uh, I didn't get my insurance. Will 
you know, do you, do you think they're going to be like just all of a sudden just, you know, temporarily suspending everybody or it's going to be like a gradual thing if they just happen to check your account or yeah, what's, hard to what's the severity of that? I mean, last year's product compliance initiatives, um, especially like you said, for the supplements, they seem to do it all at once. It wasn't so gradual. I mean, usually they give you like six weeks, eight weeks. This is kind of September 1st is sort of an abrupt deadline for, you know, um, August of, of 2021. But I don't know. Last year they did a lot of account suspensions that I didn't expect in Q4. Usually Q4 is kind of light in terms of enforcement for obvious reasons. It's, it's the peak. Um, they suspended a lot of accounts for relations. I, you probably remember that last mm-hmm. year. Uh, for relations to previously closed accounts. Now they seem to be, you know, focused on compliance and shutting down listings quicker, making you document, you know, whatever compliance procedures they want you to have in place. Anything that's safety related, they seem to want proof of that before they let you back on. So they might make certain people wait to get reinstated. And it's not just about writing a plan of action. So... I would be as prepared as possible for that. I mean, I know a couple of insurance companies are in this game. Um, Some of them used to offer suspension insurance, but they don't anymore. (laughs) But they do offer product liability insurance. So um, there are people out there that that can probably get you started. Okay. Mm -hmm. Good to know. Good to know. What what else you got on your uh, agenda today to uh, talk about that you – you want to make sure everybody out there is a, is aware of. Yeah, I mean, on. I want people not to panic. I know that on my former teams, the performance evaluation policy enforcement guys, I know they're not responding. They're taking forever to answer. Sometimes they don't answer at all. Uh, don't panic when there's silence. It may mean something is actually being reviewed and it's just taking a little longer, or you could be denied and declined and they're just not messaging you and telling you. I've been encouraging people to follow up with account health teams and account health reps to find out, hey, you know, what's, has it been denied? What are the denial notes? What's annotated on my account? And I completely understand some people say, well, some of the reps say, we can't tell you what's annotated on your account. Great. That's fine. We get it. You can paraphrase it, but tell me, has it been reviewed? Has it been denied? Give me something I can use to revise my appeal if it's been rejected so I can send in something stronger, better, more solid. And if they don't know, or if they're scrambling and putting you on hold and they say, well, I'm going to go talk to seller performance and come back, stay, keep the pressure on, stay on them. Make sure they give you data, factual information, not conjecture like, oh, I looked at your POA and I think your appeal needs this, this, or this. Make sure that's not based on their opinion because a lot of them are poorly trained or aren't looking at real data when they're giving you that opinion. They're just kind of thinking back to a call they had earlier in the day or something. I'm not sure what, but the account health reps are extremely inconsistent. So stay on them for factual info. If they can't give it to you, you know, hang up and try somebody else, or you can always write a new appeal and escalate it and say, look, I tried to figure out why you guys are denying me on appeal. I called account health and I've appealed a couple of times. All I'm getting is canned generic messaging back, or I'm getting silence. And really, mid-level management or even VP-level Amazonians who understand how much, how many appeals are being ignored and how much silence sellers are hearing um, mm-hmm. should take that seriously and should start auditing the quality of the work of their direct reports because I don't think that's happening enough and maybe it's not even happening at all right now. Okay, good to know, good to know. You know, I, I said I don't like predictions. What do you think? Uh, have you? But but sometimes with when we talk about the uh, the compliance world with Amazon, 
sometimes, you know, things just come completely out of the blue, obviously, but there are some things where you can almost predict because there's steps that are being taken and signs and, and media reports or, and things like that, where you can be like, you know what, uh, there's just this big expose on fake reviews. I can pretty much guarantee that Amazon's about to crack down or something. Sure enough, it happens. Are there any, uh, uh, any signs that you're seeing uh, about something that might lead you to believe that there might be a crackdown on something or, or a shift in policy, et cetera? Um, shift in policy. I mean, I think they are going to have to take more measures and devote more resources to preventing abuse. Going back to what you do, you know, like, especially you're, you're kind of sometimes a last resort for people who are, Mm -hmm. who are, uh, you know, suspended or, or trying to get reinstated or, or something like that. Um, you know, the re as we've talked about today, the reasons that people are getting suspended or, or account uh, put on hold or whatever, you know, sometimes that that differs and that changes, you know, mm-hmm. year over year. But uh, I'm just curious, is your success rate now any different than one year ago, than two years ago? Like, you know, on average, it's, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're successful most of the time or, or, or do you see Amazon pushing back more or what? You wouldn't be bringing somebody like me in unless we had high 90s percent success rates across the board. Obviously, there's higher or lower success rates, depending on what you're suspended for, how many times. I don't do a lot of apples and oranges comparisons, but Mm -hmm. a lot of people appeal it themselves numerous times, and then they come to us expecting us to rescue them. Your odds, or my odds of helping you, let's say, I'll put it on me and not you, my odds of helping you after you've appealed 10 times and you've gotten to the point where you've been final worded, rejected, whatever, my odds of helping you are drastically reduced. I'm at the point now where I'm starting to tell people, like, I don't think I can help you. And maybe I'm not the right fit or the right consultant. If you're looking for me to give you a pie in the sky assessment, I can't. You've appealed it too many times. I don't know why they've done it so many times when they've failed so many times. You know, better to hand it off after two failures than than six. But maybe some people just think this is my baby. This is my business. I'm holding on pretty tight for a good reason and I can't let it go. But that's the real problem now. I'm hearing from more people that are beyond help. Um, our, our success rate depends on what they've done and how much mess or damage they've created before they get to us. But in most cases, yes, we are able to successfully reinstate people. There are, there are code of conduct suspensions that are, you know, you, you've been a bad player. You've been attacking your competitors. You've been doing bad things. You've been filing false IP claims against competitors. Uh, you've been review, you know, abusing reviews. Sure. Sure. If you're if you're expect if you're caught for reoffending, let me put it that way. If you're caught a second time and you've reoffended, don't expect to be in the game anymore, and don't expect that somebody like me, even with you know dozen dozen years of experience with this stuff, that I can come in and rescue you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Now um, that that just reminded me of a couple other things I, I was I was going to ask you, mm-hmm. but um, you know, for example. Um, there's been, you know, I've still been telling people you need to go get approval. It's, it's safest to get approval to have like another account, you know. So there was people a while back saying, "Oh no, no, no. Amazon changes policies and and don't even need to ask them. Just you know, sign up, sign yourself up for for five different accounts, use it all on the same computer, this and that." But mm-hmm. I swear I've still heard people still getting, you know, messages from Amazon. No, you can't have, you know, this is a related account or something like that. Or what, what's your experience with yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, it's tough to answer that briefly. The devil's in the details. Uh, mm-hmm. Usually they come to me and they're like, I don't know what this account is. I called account health and they mentioned a name of something. I've never heard of it before, but if they do a little research, do some digging, they find a former employee 
who had an account that's suspended and they were using the same laptop to sign in or something like that. They find a family member that they you know forgot had an account. Uh, so sometimes it's like closer than they think and they do a little research and they figure it out. Um, sometimes it's, uh, you know, they haven't really discussed best practices with the service provider and their service provider was kind of signing into everything under the sun, um, using the same address. Like an address relation is actually considered a strong relation in Amazon's tools. Um, even if it's incidental, like, you know, you're using like a, like a warehouse, you're sharing a warehouse for returns or something. I saw that happen. I don't know, maybe 75 times last year. Um, the address was considered strong, not weak. And it's not the same as just having a, a lone IP hit or a data point, like a single data point that, that connects you to another business. Amazon isn't supposed to suspend for related for like a lone IP hit that is a coincidence that happens to link you to one other business, one other account. They're looking at addresses, names, shared financial information. Um, yeah, I mean, people who are not understanding those concepts and what Amazon's tools actually uh, measure are still getting into trouble for that sort of thing. Um, multiple accounts is different. Multiple accounts, you are left on your own to decide if you're breaking that policy or not. Uh, it's similar to kind of like drop shipping. You know, you don't get prior approval for drop shipping. They just post a policy and you're either following it or you're not. Yeah. Um, multiple accounts. Yeah. Obviously the basic stuff, different tax ID, different, you know, different EIN, different LLC, but you have to make sure that you're not creating a competitive advantage when you create that second account. You're not selling the same stuff on a second account. Um, okay. you're jumping on the same listings. I mean, that's really what that's about. The multiple account policy is there to prevent competitive advantage. Now, back in the day, I remember how it used to be where, if you got suspended or, or a policy violation or something mm -hmm. and you have to do an appeal, like, like a lot of times you're a thousand percent sure that nothing, you know, you didn't do what they say or, or mm -hmm. they might've made a mistake. But in my experience, the only way to be considered for reinstatement is, is you have to say that you did, even though you, you're like, are positive, you didn't do it. You have to like almost come up with a a story back in the day right. to like say, oh yeah, I did do this and, and this is why it led to this. Is that still the case now or like, you know what? You, I mean, even if, even if you don't know what you did, do you have to basically admit it or nope. what, what's going no, on? I was never a, a believer in that. I was never an advocate of admit to something you didn't do. I've seen people admit to selling counterfeit when they hadn't. Mm -hmm. uh, I've seen people admit to competitive abuse when they didn't do it. Um, nope. You can appeal things as an error. I understand most sellers that appeal it as an error get rejected. Yeah. Um, if it's really a false positive, I mean, some people are just taken down, you know, by automation, by a bot. Um, you don't cop to something just because you think it's going to get you reinstated faster. I understand when you're suspended and you're not selling anything and it's November, you're desperate, you're willing to say almost anything. Um, but we're not believers in uh, Amazon's twisting your arm and forcing you to admit to something you didn't do. Um, there are sellers who contact us who say, well, we never did this. And then we have a conversation and we find out, well, they weren't quite following the policy and they did do what they were suspended for. So I, that's my caveat answer. But for anyone who truly hasn't done anything even remotely around what they've been accused of doing, um, we do not recommend that you cop to it. I've had some sellers accused of reviews abuse. Their competitor created an entirely new Facebook page in their name created an entirely new website in their name, tried to fake that that seller was 
um, offering oh 200 bucks for a five star, whatever it was, some ridiculous yeah. thing. They hadn't done any of it. Um, and so I said, no, you're not going to admit that you created that Facebook page. You know, some black hat did that. We're, yeah. we're going to go to abuse prevention teams and say, there's no history. You know, we didn't do any of this. There's a history here of a competitor attacking this brand, these ASINs left, right, and center. Um, that's when you can get a little pushy and forceful in ways to where you can back up. I mean, if there's a history of abuse, especially you can point to that and say, look, this is just another competitor abusive attack. At this point, those teams are well aware that this is going on and it shouldn't fall on deaf ears. If it does, you should go to a different team and complain yeah. that you're not being taken seriously. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, let's, uh, let, let's, you know, knock on wood and hope that people do not need your, your services, but if unfortunately they do, how, how can they find you on the interwebs out there? Right. So it's my, my site's e-commerce, Chris. I also want to mention the seller velocity conference that we're doing here in Boston on the, uh, 23rd of September. It's an all day event, uh, wide variety of speakers, not necessarily the, um, average everyday speakers you see at, at Amazon events. It's a brand conference. So hopefully you don't need me for, you know, a suspension service, but, um, we do have the conference here in Boston and it's a great place to hopefully come in person. Uh, there's also virtual tickets, but sellervelocityconference.com, um, is one place where we're trying to give people resources so that they can meet experts. I'm not an expert in everything, by the way, I'm not the one-stop shopping agency where I know everything. There's lots of stuff. I don't know. Plenty of humility here. Um, if they are suspended or if they lose their top selling ASIN, it's e-commerce Chris. And uh, my email is chris at ecommercechris.com. So Q4, I am very easy to find. Cool. All right, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. And, and uh, let's uh, let's catch up again next year in 2022 and see what new things that are, people are getting in trouble oh, for. And, and I have a discount code for your listeners, too. Oh, yeah. Well, what is that I'm code? I'm sorry. For the conference, Helium Rocks, all one word, R-O-C-K-S. I like it. Yeah, Helium Rocks. Helium Rocks. Yeah, if you can. All right. It. Thanks a lot, Chris. And, and we'll see you next year. Thanks a lot.